Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Side Hustles Insta Podcast, episode 61. Keishi and Yuri. Keishi, what is 61? It's the number that follows 60. And, and, and by now, I should know that I need to look this up before we start recording. <laughs> it's the second time in a row you asked me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't really know either. Uh, what are you drinking today? Um, or, are uh, you looking, or are you looking things up? Yeah, I, I was just looking things up. So 61 is the international direct dial phone call. Um, I, I guess the, what do you call it? The phone f- prefix for, for Australia. So if you oh. want to call somebody in Australia, it's plus 61. All right. Uh, and, and now I know what I need to say when we're at episode 81, because that's that Japan. Okay. Oh, that's true. So if anyone wants to call us, now you know the first two digits. <laughs> Exactly. And it's also the 18th prime number. Uh, I think we've lost a lot of listeners at this point. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, doing all right. I have my drink of the day. Nice. What me. are you drinking? That's a good question. I don't know what the hell is, what this is. This is some sort of soda. Hakka soda, right? Am I reading this right? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think we looked it up and it seems like um, it's some sort of mint or, or peppermint or, or whatever. So now, now it's your job to, to actually try it and figure out whether or not we were right. In, in our... It's like a strange combination of mint and... and lime. Like the initial taste is mint. Hold on. Let me have a third sip. I feel like the initial taste is lime and then it becomes mint. It's kind of strange. It's an interesting, definitely an interesting drink. I wouldn't go out of my way to drink this again, but it's also not bad. But it's not my like my type, my preference. So it's like a six out of ten for you then? I'll give it a seven. Like there's definitely yeah, definitely like a sense of mint. Like kind of reminds me of toothpaste. Yeah, so I remember chatting that you you don't like mint ice cream either. I've not tried mint ice cream, but when I think of mint, I think of toothpaste, and that's not what I want to think about <laughs> when I'm eating ice cream. Ice cream is meant to be a snack. When you when you're eating snacks and chips and ice creams, I don't want to have that same sensation of like tasting toothpaste. Yeah, I think it tastes slightly differently. Actually, I think it tastes good. I should yeah. give it a well, shot. <laughs> that, that's why preferences are different. Yeah, but yeah, this drink. I'll, I mean, I'll still give it a seven. It's not bad. Like it is good. It's just not my my preference. But like I can see how it's good. Yeah, so I, I won't give it failing grade. Yeah, yeah, because the name sounded pretty refreshing, like a mint soda. I don't think. Sounds, sounds like something for hot summer days, even though it's not exactly hot today. But I, I have no idea who this would be for, but it's probably not me. <laughs> but right. that being said, it's still good. Sounds good. What do you have? Yeah, so this is the last week that I have something from my trip to Shizuoka. Um, Running almost out. A, yeah, almost a month ago now, I guess, since this is the fourth one. Um, it's Shizuoka Musk Melon Cider. So that the, sounds the, good. Yeah, so the area is really famous for, for its melons. Um, but let's see, it's, it's only 2% fruits. So I'll try it. Oh, it tastes good. Do you know melon soda? Like the Fanta yeah. melon soda? It sounds like a less artificial version of that. Or, or tastes like less artificial version of that. Okay. And actually it smells really good. It smells like melon. Okay. And what would you rate it? Let's give it 8.5 out of 10. Okay. And the, the deducted points are for, for not being 100% juice, I guess. Although then, <laughs> then it would probably taste different. Quite different. Yeah. For better or worse. That sounds good. I definitely would. I definitely am a fan of melon. Is are we talking the green melon or the orange melon, or are we talking about watermelon? Um, I think this is orange one, like the musk melon. Okay. Like orange on the inside. It's it's really nice. We actually got one for. I think I, think I was mentioning this here. The the Fudosato Noze system here, where you can kind of choose where you donate part of your taxes, and they send yeah. you gift in return. We actually. Or I actually uh, bought a melon from from my go uh, from my wife's hometown because it's it's famous for melons and it was really nice like it was the best melon that I've ever had probably yeah I'm actually I talked to my accountant about that too he's like yeah but just make sure to order stuff uh, before this year ends and then let me yeah, know exactly. next year so I wanted to get some melons myself nice yeah I think it's a really cool system and I, I was talking to an accountant last week or whatever um, as well about a couple of things and. Like one of the things I was trying to figure out was how much can I actually spend on this? Because hmm. I looked around on the internet and there's quite a few calculators that try to calculate for you. Okay. But somehow every one of them gave me a different number and like <laughs> and we we're talking like an order of magnitude different. Okay. So I kind of tried to stay on the safe side last year. But again the accountant said it's it's about twenty percent of what you expect to pay. What what you're expecting to pay in um in local taxes. So yeah. so that's about yeah, about twenty percent of, of ten percent of your income. It's still nice to get something back though. Even yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. The, the unfortunate thing is, I think when they began with when they started this, um, mm-hmm. there were no limits on it. But I think now there's a limit where if you donated, let's say, hundred dollars, they can only give you 
a gift bag that's worth thirty dollars. So okay, but but it's still very nice. Like again, we, I mean, we, you're still paying your taxes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it's you pay your taxes and you get something in return. So and there's all the, the other side of it is that you contribute money to a an area or a prefecture of Tokyo. Well, not Tokyo. I'm stupid today. <laughs> you're contributing money to an area of Japan that's probably less populated and doesn't, as such, doesn't earn as much or doesn't have as much money on hand. So it's a either way, it's a win-win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a nice concept because if you think about it. Like people that are in their working age essentially are those that pay the most local taxes. And like when you compare, I think the differences are quite big even when you compare different um, wards of Tokyo. Mm. Like Shinagawaku, which has a lot of rich people, or like Minatoku and like some of the other ones. Mm. And then when you kind of zoom out even further and you look at some like local munis- municipalities in Japan with like very few people and most of them quite old and maybe past their past their working age. Yeah. Yeah, I, f- I think it's a nice way in which you can kind of redirect the flow of money. Yeah, and get something in return. So it's a win-win all around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you talked to your accountant. What else did you talk? Sounds like it could be side hustle related. Yes, I, I, I mostly went to talk about sales tax because once your sales... Or, or, or one certain type of sales reaches a certain level here. Um, you have to apply for sales tax and you have to pay sales tax. But actually, I, I was surprised to learn. And, and again, there was a couple of things that I wanted to confirm, like especially in our case, um, like the way that online income is treated that comes from, let's say, Amazon or from ads and so on is, is different than, what, than the way that a typical export would be treated. Like when I do consulting for clients located overseas, okay. um, it's kind of excluded. So, so I wanted to confirm my understanding on that because, again, you want to get these things right, but you also don't want to overpay. Yeah. Right. So, so it's, it's good to confirm. Um, and um, yeah. And, and the other thing I wanted to learn was just like, at, at what point does it make sense to actually run your income for a company mm-hmm. in terms of taxes? But I think um, for, for that, especially when you um, account for, for the extra, I guess, extra admin burden that you have kind of in terms of accounting and, and reporting to the government and so on. Um, mm-hmm. I think still not there. And the other thing is we're calculating the, um, the the pension and stuff like that that you have to pay once you're actually running a company. Okay. And that accounts to quite a lot of money too. So 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 still gonna for for quite a while I think um, continue as a as a sole proprietor if for nothing else than for the sake of simplicity. Yeah. Because again, once you start a company, you have to start a company, kind of hire yourself, and you work for the company, and they pay you salary and, and so on. And I think that yeah. it becomes a bit more complex. Um. So so that was kind of the other thing. And the third thing was if there's anything else that I can do to to try to lower the amount of um, taxes that I pay. Mm-hmm. Um, we we talked a couple times here, but I'm doing the the IDECO thing, which is like the 401k um, in, in the US, something similar. I think where every month I can invest um, 68,000 yen, so that's what 650 bucks or 600 bucks, mm-hmm. um, and deduct it from my from my income at the end of the year. Um, so I found that there's Another thing, which is essentially a savings plan for for small businesses, so every month you can save up to seven thousand yen. So that's that's another seven hundred bucks that you can deduct and um, from your taxes. So it's what like eight thousand dollars per year. So so it saves you a couple thousand dollars on, on taxes at least now. Okay. Um, and essentially, it's something where if you decide to stop your business or if you retire, you can get the money back, and it's taxed at a lower rate than than a usual income would be. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I'm going to start that. I actually filled out the form online yesterday. Um, but but this is Japan. So I had to fill out the form online so that they can send me the paper form right. that I can then fill out and take to the bank. So yeah, <laughs> so, um, yeah so, so I filled it out. Hopefully it comes next week. And hopefully, because again, j- just like with the investing one, you can backdate it. So you can mm-hmm. only start contributing once you sign up. So yeah. So hopefully I'll do at least three, four months of that this year, depending on how long it takes to, to open this up. But um, but yeah, I, I just realized, um, again, I think for, for most of the accounting-related things, I've been doing pretty much myself for, for forever, whether it's the, the tax returns or just kind of figuring out um, how to do things and, and what taxes to pay and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and luckily, as far as those things go, um, I, I confirmed them with the accountant last week and pretty much my understanding was um, more or less spot on. Um, so, yeah. so, so that's good. Um, but but I also realized that it's it's nice to pay somebody a couple hundred bucks or whatever to talk to them for one hour and you can just learn so much new things and can save you so much time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I actually told the accountant she should charge more. <laughs> what did she <laughs> say? She was like, like, thank you. Because again, I think it's like, let's say you have to pay whatever, 20 or $30,000 in taxes a year. And somebody tells you how to save ten percent of that, right? I think it's it's very well, valuable advice. Yeah, ex- exactly. 
So um, definitely would, would happily pay um, a decent amount of money for, for that, if, if that was the case. And, and, and also, I think just the fact that you, even though you, you can research everything yourself, yeah, but it's still nice to kind of get a, I wouldn't call it a second opinion, but, but like just to reconfirm your understanding with somebody that's kind of in the trenches every day with, with the yeah. topic. And, and I, I mean, think it's kind so, of hard because like you don't know what you don't know. And that's where the accountant can step in and be like, confirm what you know, or like add some stuff that you haven't considered before. Exactly. Because that's kind of the, the thing that happened with the sales tax. And, and to be honest, um, I didn't really look too deep into the sales tax other than what the threshold is because I haven't had to pay it so far. Um, but like th two things that I learned that I probably would have found out if I looked harder. But then again, I think it's like th looking back, I think it's well worth just paying somebody to give you the advice right away. Mm -hmm. is one um whereas in some other countries once you hit the threshold then for that year you have to pay your sales tax mm -hmm. but in japan again whether it's because we use faxes or whatever <laughs> you hit the threshold this year the next year you submit a paper form to the to the tax office saying hey i hit the threshold <laughs> and then the year after you actually pay the sales tax so let's say you hit the this is two years ahead yeah it's two I mean, years, two years ahead. behind yeah two, uh yeah two years behind but the, the sales tax that you pay is not based on the year that you hit the hit the the threshold. It's based on the year two years ahead. So that's a, that's a, that's a bit of a mind. Uh, I'm gonna say a bad word, but that <laughs> requires some mental gymnastics. Yeah, that, that's what was confusing to me too. Because essentially, there's like once once you hit the sales tax threshold, then it's almost the lump sum that you have to pay extra, right? So there's unlike with income tax, which is kind of gradual. Mm -hmm. um, with the sales tax, it's, it suddenly goes from zero to to a lot. So like at, at some point there's a there's a point where you're better off just taking vacation and not earning more money to stay below the threshold mm -hmm. than going just slightly above the th threshold. No, if you can get a lot um, of extra money and make way more money than the threshold is, then of course that's different. But like if you're in that kind of gray zone where it's you're almost there but not quite, or you're just over the threshold, yeah, then there's many cases when it's better to be under it. And 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 that's what I was kind of worried about. But then I realized that. Essentially, what I make this year doesn't really matter in terms of the sales tax because <laughs> they'll they'll take the number from two years ahead, which I have no idea what it will be. So. Yeah. So in two years' time, you got to pay. Well, you you haven't hit that threshold, so you don't have to pay anything just yet. Uh, I I think I will. I think it's pretty much. Um, yeah. I have to double check now and make sure that I'm not missing anything. I don't think I don't think so because for for you, most of your stuff is salary, right? From from a company. Yeah. So so yeah. Um, I don't think that applies, but. Don't I mean for for the side hustle stuff because uh, I I outsource it all to my accountant. Yeah, but I I think he would tell me. Yeah, and and I think the the other thing that I found out which was cool, and if you get to the point where you have to pay sales tax on this, um, which is something you should keep in mind probably is um, I was kind of looking at what expenses I paid and what expenses I uh, and what income I earned because essentially sales tax is like the difference between the sales tax that you receive from somebody and the sales tax that you pay for to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. um, and essentially there's two ways so you can either actually calculate everything or there's like a fixed deduction and I think for the stuff that you or I do it's 50% and I don't know about you but for me most of the stuff that I outsource is overseas so there's no sales tax on that that would kind of yeah. offset the income and also Same. it's not like it's not like in our business in our type of business the the expenses are very high as compared to the sales mm -hmm. right it's, it's it's almost pure profit other than the, the investment into content and some some um, hosting costs and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So what you can actually do is you can do like a fixed deduction of 50%, which can save you another um, decent amount of money, depending on okay. how much you earn. Because let, let's say you make X amount and then your margin is 90%. So you only have 10% of expenses. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to pay sales tax on those 90%. But um, but with a fixed deduction, you have 50% instead of the actual 10. So it's, it's a nice little bonus. Yeah. How, wait, I also understand that you started doing prepayments this year, right? As uh, a new thing. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's another thing. It's because a lot of my income before used to be stuff where my income tax was withheld. Mm -hmm. So generally, at the end of the year, I actually got some money back, or was it about zero? Um, but over the last couple of years, I think more and more of my income has been of the type where it's not withheld, so I have to pay tax. And I think that once you yeah. once you submit your tax return saying, "Hey, I'll pay tax this year," then from the following year, they'll start sending you um, checks for prepayment. But it's fine. Yeah. I mean, once if you start treating the money that you owe in taxes as your own money, um, you're screwing up essentially. Yeah. So. So, so it doesn't make a difference in terms of in terms of how I feel. I guess. I guess biggest 
biggest lesson for anyone listening biggest lesson biggest lesson number one any anything that you earn especially is from a side hustle uh definitely stick at least half of it or whatever the tax rate is into another account immediately as soon as you get paid because eventually you're gonna have to pay up for that maybe a year down the line when, when you have to file for the year afterwards so keep it separate like that don't treat it as oh this is my lump sum that i yeah have exactly um, this is the safest way to play safest way to play i think this took off a lot of headache that i had in the past simply having a separate account is does wonders for some reason and then of course when it's time to pay you get the bill you just go to that other account you withdraw and you pay it and that's it keeping that separate is just i don't know what it is I but think it's because so, again if you have money in your account and like in, in my case i kind of track my net worth on a monthly basis and i have all the accounts that i have and all the debts that i have which is essentially taxes and like credit card bills that that haven't been due yet um like there i can at least see that all right i have whatever amount in cash but at the same time on the other side i have whatever amount i expect to need to pay in taxes on the other side so then the final number yeah. already accounts for that so i think that's kind of level one of what you can do at least keep track of all right i earned this much and based on that this is how much taxes i will have to pay at, at least yeah. be cognizant of the fact that you have to pay the taxes and and then i think the next level which which you just explained which i think is definitely the best way to go is also take that amount of money and put it into a separate account and yeah and, and yeah. just safeguard it for for uncle uncle Don't uncle sam it, yeah. or uncle suga or <laughs> whoever the guy in your country right. is and, and I, I think yeah exactly. i think um i don't know about the us but in japan like if you're an actual employee of a company um the company yeah. essentially deals with their, all their taxes that's the amazing thing i don't understand why the us oh is the us not is not doing it. uh no, because everyone has to file for themselves. But like, I, I guess that's one of the really nice upsides. I mean, the, Japan is a pretty high tax rate, all things considered. But I mean, like, there's also a lot of benefits that come with this. But I don't know if it's related or not. But the fact is, living in a country where if you when you work at a company, the company does your taxes for you is a you know that's that one less thing to yeah, worry about. Yeah, I believe it's the same in Slovakia. I don't think you have to do your taxes. But but I, I guess my point being, um, if you live in a country like Japan or like Slovakia or whatever where the company takes care of your taxes if you're a full-time employee and then you start a side hustle i think it's even more of a shock than like like based on what you're saying like if you're, you work in the us and you have to file your taxes even as an employee and pay the taxes yeah. um then you're kind of used to that system but like if you live in japan and everything's taken care of you and what you get in your bank account is essentially your take-home pay and suddenly you start yeah. earning thousands on the side from from a blog or something I, th I think then it's, yeah. it's it's dangerous if you don't realize that hey actually a thousand dollars coming into my account is is not really thousand dollars that I can keep in my pocket. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something yeah. to look out for, and that's something also I was surprised by as well because I had that I had the side hustle going yeah. for quite a bit, and, but with the help of my accountant we sorted it all out. But yeah, definitely in the, in the past I I definitely like was thinking like oh everything is going to get sorted for me. But if it's your own, then it's not going to get sorted for you. You have to sort it for yourself or get an accountant. Yeah, to help you exactly. And so. and I think the most dangerous thing if you if you don't do what um what you was just saying what you're just saying is um let's say you make whatever let's say fifty thousand dollars this year in extra income and you yeah. know you have to pay taxes on it but you spend the money <laughs> yeah, exactly the, the taxes always come the next year so if you spend all your money that you got today you spend it now next year comes around you only make ten thousand dollars because google algorithm update or because um, you no longer want to do your side hustles or whatever and you get like a fifteen thousand dollar tax bill then you're probably pretty screwed yeah, so something to keep in but, mind. Yeah, always so separate your stuff, separate yeah. your finances. Always take out a chunk and then exactly. keep it on the side. And the the other thing that I was talking with the accountant um, was about like either keeping accounting in house or or, or outsourcing. Um, I okay. think you're you're pretty much outsourcing everything to your accountant, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best way. It's just um, I like. To, I guess I like to keep things. I mean, I like to keep things simple. Um, I'm not too fascinated about accounting and finance. And I guess, yeah, kind of like in this case, the less things I have to think about, the better. And I'll pay gladly pay someone else. To yeah, we were just talking me. that. Um, like in my case, I mean, um, <laughs> the, the tax returns are something you have to do, of course. But, but more than that, to me, accounting's like. It's almost like your business is health check, right? It's like, I, I want to know how much I'm spending. I want to know how much I'm making. And more than that, I want to know, all right, I'm spending this much on this side. I'm spending this much on this side. I'm making this much from that client, from this client. And kind of want to see where money is coming from, where the money is going. And like what we're mm -hmm. talking is 
you, you can definitely teach that. And I, I guess you could kind of create procedures around that and stuff like that. But like when I do my bookkeeping, I always make sure to assign the right expenses to the right online projects or to the right client and so on, just so that I can have a nice um, kind of overview of what's going on. And what I found is that if you outsource it, it, it it's pretty hard to, to get that right. And as, especially with the software that softwares that are out there nowadays, like I almost okay. feel like the, the effort you'd have to go to, through to actually give somebody the information they need to be able to properly categorize it if you outsource it to them. You might just as well sync your bank book with the, with the software and kind of take it all of yourself. Like I just did two months worth, worth of um, bookkeeping in, in an hour or hour and a half yesterday. But but at the same time, yeah, I, I think um, if you don't really care about that, then just sending <laughs> like kind of the the stereotype um, of of a small business owner is, I think, sending a a shoebox full of receipts to the accountant at the end of the year. <laughs> hmm. I mean, like I guess in our case, if it's online and we know where our payments are coming from, it's quite easy to track stuff on a spreadsheet. Like it's not like we have um, a shoebox of. <laughs> Like you said, shoebox of receipts lying around. Uh, you know, just take you know January through December, paste a few numbers in. Now you know your uh, profits yeah. and expenses. So, so, so you're using just a spreadsheet, or yeah, yeah, because I, I use this thing called um, free fr triple e. It's it's pretty. Mm. But my stuff is pretty simple. It's well, like the from affiliate programs I promote from Amazon affiliate program. Those are my two sources of earnings, and then like website expenses on the other side, and plus software, so for like for the email, yeah. Aweber. So it's not like I have a lot of expenses and a lot of sources that I have to like keep in mind. It's quite simple yeah. for me to do. So I guess I don't really need much else. But in that way, I do know like I do also track you know the health of my business per se. I I can see when there are dips and when I you know when are the hot seasons yeah. and whatnot. So. If it's simple, I think it could be done. I, I understand if I add more complexity to it, like if I do, if I start doing stuff like consulting or really unrelated to what I'm doing right now, then I might have to be tracked or filed separately. Yeah, then, yeah. yeah I, I guess yeah. If if you have two sources of income and and essentially one or two categories of expenses, I think it's really easy to yeah to, to just track it in spreadsheets and keep things simple. I, I think there's a market yeah. opportunity for English accounting software, but tailored to Japanese tax laws. Or you could take that up. <laughs> What do you need? Yeah. I wonder how many people would buy it, actually. Uh, I think there's, a, I guess, enough people in Japan. Well, what do you? who's your target market? I, I think non-Japanese-speaking entrepreneurs and company owners. and. Um, do they have to be company owners? Or, 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 or sole proprietors like, like us. I feel like there's also English teachers that have to oh, file really? on their own. I'm not quite sure, I, or maybe there's like people that have gone yeah. freelance. Yeah, and I, I guess the other thing is there also needs to be a bit of complexity because like if you have somebody like English teacher making whatever four million in a year with with almost no expenses other than maybe some train fares or something, um, you don't really need a software to <laughs> to spit out the the tax return. So, so yes, yeah, so, yeah. so I guess it has to be has to be complex to a certain extent. Yeah, well, you should still give it a try. It's uh, not easy to make. And the, uh, it's, it's a, yeah. Yeah, if I think Free should do it. I think they've got the platform. If they just translate it. All right, so uh, taxes aside, what else do you have? I heard you're reading the yeah, book Yes, so right I started now. reading the book that we um, agreed we would read before you jumped over to, um, who was it, to Jay-Z. Um, so so I'm re yeah. I started reading Sam Walton, Made in America. So it's it's the guy that started, sir? Wait, wait, sorry, when, when did it come um, in for you? A couple of days back, I think. Yeah, I ordered okay. it from, from Amazon and I forgot about it. And then it was in my mailbox. Um, I didn't even know I actually ordered hardcover. Um, That's a nice surprise. Yeah. When you order something, but you don't, <laughs> and then you forget about it and then it comes exactly. in. You're like, oh, wow. But yeah, it's a book by the by the founder of um, Walmart, Sam Walton. And um, hmm. I started reading it. I think I'm on, I'm on like the third chapter, fourth chapter. So maybe like 15% okay. in, 12% in. Um, so far I'm really enjoying it because I, I was just thinking like, um, when you read a book about Facebook or about an IT company, about a tech company, it's usually like, yeah. all right, this guy went to a really nice college, started building something in his dorm or, or in his garage and then boom, got a lot of money and dropped out and, and, and went to the moon essentially. <laughs> right. That, that's what a lot of stories yeah. are. Right. And I'm, I'm not saying there weren't like difficult times in between. And I'm not, not saying like Facebook started right away as Facebook and there weren't these different things beforehand and so on, but it's still pretty like, it, it's always kind of the, the same story, right? Whether it's Facebook or Twitter, um, spare the yeah. details. But like, like when you look at somebody like this guy and you look at how essentially he just kind of stumbled upon retail because he went to a job fair and got a job in at, at, at um, what is it? JC Penney's or whatever her name is. 
yeah, yeah. it's a shoe store, so, I think. So, I think I'm not sure. I've been away from America for yeah, too long. Shoe store, department store, whatever. Um, in, in any case, in retail and kind of then kind of bought his own franchise, and then he screwed up. And <laughs> I think we'll have an, a separate episode on this. But like he made a, a leasing contract for for the store that he opened as as first um for as, as a franchise franchisee for for one other company, and he kind of turned the store around and went on to make a lot of money with that considering where he was. Mm -hmm. um, and then he realized that his lease was only for five years and it, was, it wasn't it was automatically renewing. And what his landlord did essentially was he forced him to sell him the franchise. So like he built this business up, but then he was forced to sell it to whoever owned the building because otherwise he wouldn't get the, the lease renewed anyways. So like yeah. he, he did that. And then he found another store in, in another town and, and kind of like, I, I don't know what is it, but I, again, I don't know what it is, but I guess it's like to an extent it's more... I think it's more of an again to an extent. I think it's more of an interesting story when, when the founder has to go and like buy merchandise and like put shelves on the truck and take them from one store to the other and and so on, compared to just kind of sit behind the computer all the time <laughs> and write out code and yeah. And, and, and I'm by no means saying it's it's less of an achievement or something. I think what the tech companies have done or what software companies have done is is really amazing and they're all exciting stories too. I mean, I, I read a lot a bunch of books that are that are exciting in the tech world as well but this is different kind of exciting i feel like like dealing with actual yeah. physical things and like building an actual store and kind of conquering the world of retail store by store and like start in some town in arkansas and like over a few decades you're suddenly everywhere it's it's i, I think there's something I, I don't know what the right word for it is but there's something different about that than about hearing somebody how they build their software that that now everybody uses on the planet. Yeah, because I mean, like the software is what you're sitting, like you said, you're sitting in your room behind the screen. I, I, I'm not, well, I'm, yeah, I'm drastically simplifying it right here. There's more to it, but it's when you compare the two, like the other guy has to go out and deal with suppliers and deal with getting a store and whatnot and getting, or I don't know what it is, buying land, getting uh, grants and approval from the city and whatnot. I think there's a whole massive process involved that's not involved with just like doing an online side hustle. Yeah, and it's also interesting to, like I'm, I'm still very early in the book, so I, I don't know what the rest will be about. But like the kind of innovation that you can see in the book. Okay. How like, so? um, for for example, it sounds like before he opened his, I don't know, second store, or whatever. Like it was the standard that you would have a store with a bunch of counters, and each counter had a separate cashier, and you would pay for whatever. There's the meat counter. There's the I don't know. There's the vegetables counter, and like you'd have to have like four people manning the different areas and charging people and so on. And then when you think about the way stores work now, it's like it's pretty much self-service, and then you go to a central kind of cashier, and like we take that yeah. for granted. But if you if you read this book, it's like at some point it had to switch from that. There's these different counters where there's different people selling you different things to this kind of central model. And and again, it's it's kind of similar to like I was telling you that I was reading this book about um, electricity. Again, it's one of those things that you take for granted, and that that you go to a store and you don't even think about. But then when you read a book like this, you kind of realize how much efficiency you can gain just by doing that and, and just by going from the old yeah. model to the new model even though it's not like going from i don't know from from a, from windows 98 to like windows 10 or whatever the newest one is um there there's again like in, in a way i find fascinating these little um innovations and efficiencies you can make in in the physical world rather than kind of the digital world hmm. so what, what's your overall take so far on yeah so far i'm enjoying it really um a lot the, the cover is a bit uh it very much screams made in America. I think I sent you a picture. It's got the, it's got the photo of the guy and and um, on, on a white background. But but uh, yeah, it's so so far so good, and I'm really enjoying reading it. Okay, on my end, yeah, I've not started. Actually, no, I have started reading it, but I got sidelined by another book. I think it's because we were talking when we were looking for books last time. I think you brought up a yeah, Jay Z yeah. book that wasn't yeah. written by Jay Z. But there is a book that was written by Jay-Z called Decoded. So I was like, oh, let me get that and take a look nice. real quick. So I'm currently reading that. I think I'm like four or five chapters. It's kind of hard to tell with a Kindle how far I'm into this thing. So uh, obviously like a bit of a different story than what's going on with Sam Walton and Walmart. But still very interesting. Plus like I'm, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. So that's... <laughs> 
you know, there's that kind of like uh, familiarity, and and I've been I've listened to a lot of Jay Z, so like it's I think. Well, but another thing that kind of made me want to uh, get the book was there, there was an interview a, long, a, long, a while ago that actually popped up on Facebook between Howard Stern and Jay Z, and like um, they're talking about uh, Jay Z's relationship with his dad, with his father before his father passed away, because his father yeah. left when he was young. And it's like so, Howard Stern is like kind of trying to dig in and see, like you know, so we're, how has that shaped you as a person? You know, like, um, you know, how can you go on to have healthy relationships with other people when your own relationship with your own father, you know, was strained or like not there? And like you, you would need a lot of therapy. And like Jay Z is like, yeah, my music is my therapy. It's like you know, and well, I'm I'm quoting the yeah. interview. It's like I yeah. I get, I get to express it through my music, you know. It's not like I'm keeping it in. And like to me, it was a kind of, it, it definitely added a lot of layers of depth. And um, so the move, the book is, uh, I think not so much in chronological order, but every chapter has its theme. Um, depending on where he is in his life or career before he starts rapping, while he's hustling, um, during certain events. And like there's one chapter that stood out to me was on on like on like rap. You know, the critics of rap, for example, they'll catch that one um hook that's catchy and has like you know it's very simple and the the, the critic or it'll have like you know abrasive language yeah. and whatnot and critics will latch onto that and be like oh look at this look look at what they're saying but the thing is like a lot of this stuff is layered like there's what you hear at the on the first pass like you might hear about you know money and women and whatnot but if you're more familiar with the context of where they're growing up and what they've been through uh, there's a greater understanding in there like someone listening who's not been raised in in that world or isn't someone who's not from new york someone who's not been hustling someone who's not been part of that life will simply not yeah. understand because they just hear the surface level stuff which to me is kind of interesting because any i think anyone that listens to rap um can notice these more intricate like storytelling or like these metaphors that someone else who's living i don't know like thousand miles away in a much better neighborhood would yeah. definitely miss there's that like there's like lessons that he tries to pull out from his own life i think there was one where i think he got into a fight i think i think it was over someone who was bootlegging his music and released something ahead of time and i think he got into a fight with that person i don't know if i'm saying the story correctly because uh i haven't touched the book in a few days but what i remember like he, he said he said like he couldn't believe how he essentially endangered himself and his career and whatnot over one moment of where he lapsed and lost control yeah. over that and how it's totally not worth it. So it's very, I don't know, it's very fascinating. It's complete opposite of Sam Walton. Um, I would highly recommend it. There's also talks um, on him talking with Jordan and how he like, you know, I guess hard workers can identify other hard workers yeah. in the room. So he talks about the dedication to his craft. To like Jordan was that type of person that you can respect a hard worker from any industry. Or, you know, he was talking about how his other um, rappers like Jazz, they would lock themselves up in a room and work on their craft and work on their rhymes. It's it's like you can spot this from a mile away, you know, like, whereas basketball players will continually uh, drill something over and over and put in a lot of dedication to it. I mean, I'm only scratching the surface of, of this book. I haven't finished it. But yeah, I really like cool. it. Yeah, because... I think, um, again, there's this entrepreneurship books like Sam Walton and so on where, like, you know what the end product is and is about how they got there. And I think I think people like Jay-Z, the, the reason they're interesting to me is because, like, I, I think most people know Jay-Z as whatever, as, as a rapper, as a famous star. But at the same time, I think he's a successful entrepreneur, right? And I think there's yeah. other people like that. I, I think um, Shaq O'Neal, uh, most people know him as, as a basketball star, right? But but he's actually got like a PhD, I believe. And he's also a successful yeah. entrepreneur. And, and I, have, I have a lot of respect for people that do a lot of different things. Like, I think it's great when you go on and, and build a whatever, $50 billion business. But at the same time, I think variety is good too. And and, and some of these people, like Jay Z, they they um they've managed to do that, right? They've they've got successful rap career, but then they turned that also into a successful business career. And what what's interesting is that he also um started his own record label instead of you know signing onto someone else's because that's you know that's a whole other issue within the mu music industry where the record label um essentially yeah. controls you and really gives you a bad deal and spits you out at the end. Whereas like, so he wouldn't take on such a deal. And instead he's, you know, he started Rockefeller records, uh, I think with some other people, but the fact that he was, he was controlling is kind of, you know, his business in a way. And yeah, like, I think he also came out with a clothing line afterwards as well. Yeah. So like definitely went into all kinds yeah. of areas. Uh, have you listened to any of Jay Z's music? Um, not other than Empire State of Mind with, with Alicia Keys. Okay. <laughs> I think he says he's from Brooklyn in that one. <laughs> Uh, so am I. 
But I think like on a side hustle entrepreneurial tip, I think uh, a lot of Jay-Z's songs are very much like that. And I would highly recommend them. Yeah. At least like from his older albums, like uh, Reasonable Doubt, yeah. Black Album. I-, I should try listening to some of that and, and also maybe pick up that book. I- actually, it makes me wonder if Shaq O'Neal has a book. Oh, he published one in 2011. It's got good ratings. Shaq Uncut, My Story. You might have to put that on the yeah, reading list. There's too many things that I want to read. I, I ordered the um, I, I ordered a book called Structures by Things Don't Fall Down. Is this about infrastructure? Um, I think it's about like mechanical engineering kind of thing, like an intro okay. into that. And I think we're talking about this here, but I'm trying to, as much as I enjoy business-related books, I'm also trying to read more of non-business things. And I think this is one mm-hmm. of those where, yeah, I think, I think it's about basic physics and about basic um, structural engineering and, and things like that. Like for even okay. for anyone who has ever wondered why suspension bridges don't collapse under eight lanes of traffic, how dams hold back or give way under thousands of gallons of water, or what principles guide the design of a skyscraper, a bias cut dress, or a kangaroo, this book will ease your anxiety and answer your questions. So is it like a popular yeah, science I type of so. book? Um, I think Elon Musk recommended it actually in one of videos that I saw with him quite a while back. It's part okay, one, nice. the difficult birth of the science of elasticity, part two, tension structures, part three, compression and bend- bending structures, and part four, and the consequence was the philosophy of design, a chapter of accidents, efficiency, and aesthetics. Yeah, so I think it's it's one of the books that maybe um, loses us another half of listeners, but <laughs> but that I think yes. it's Hey, man, it's fine. I, I think I've lost a lot of people with my interest in trees. and <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm really excited to get this one and, and to start reading it too. Yeah, I you know what I really like stories, and at the same time I really like non-business related stuff. Like this is the stuff I also read. Like instead of the how-to marketing books that I tend to read a lot, but I think we've covered this kind of topic and yeah. stories and like stuff way outside of your field are very yeah, interesting. Yeah, exactly. To learn about. I'll definitely read for that and see um, where it goes. But but yeah, it's the the reading list is never ending. It's like every time I add a thing or every time I finish a book, I add like three more to the list that I that I want to read. Yeah. And there's that store, yeah, the, Mar- the name, yeah. Marzen, right? Endless supply of books that you probably fill up your entire, more than your lifetime. Yeah, that's humbling when you go in there and you know that there's no way you're going to read even 10% of that in your lifetime, probably. It's also kind of sad. And also make, yeah. And, yeah. and also going back to my approach to reading books also makes you less, feel less guilty about stopping um, midway through a book that you don't really enjoy or that you don't really feel like reading anymore. Yeah. And I, 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 well, I used to disagree with it in the past. I, Half disagree with it, but part of me also agrees with it because I have sidelined <laughs> books that I don't regret, like the Four Hour Body by uh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, but yeah, I think um, I think books are good, but but um, too many of them. Too many of them, and they're like I don't know books. There's 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 thinking and taking at and taking action. I think like books um have their own place, but they in in the sense of taking action and doing things, they're kind of like on the opposite end because you're just consuming and absorbing. So I, yeah. I definitely see like me being a voracious or you used to have been a voracious reader. Um you end up I well not you I, I would end up going through like a lot of um, periods of inactivity because I'm so engrossed in reading. Then I'd realize that I've not done much of anything. And then I do the complete opposite. Of course, you have to strike a balance. But for some reason, I think like it's two different uh, modes of operation and two different thinking modes. In one, you have to, you're completely passive. In the other one, you're active. But it's just hard to do both, I think. It's, I feel like it's very hard to be well-balanced, read and take action. Whereas it's just like read, 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 then start feeling guilty for not taking action and start taking action and start feeling guilty for not reading. Yeah, I guess it depends on what goal you read read with, kind of. Because, yeah. again, I don't think there has to be an actionable takeaway from every book. Because if you, if you need an actionable takeaway on something right away, um, you're probably better off watching a YouTube video or reading a blog post. I, I think books are more about just compounding. You read them, you kind of remember bits and pieces that are interesting. And then when the time comes, you remember those bits and pieces or, or the time never comes and whatever, as long as you enjoyed reading the book. Yeah. This, this, yeah, I think it's kind of a it, it's a mix between leisure and and actually doing something productive. I feel. Yeah, but yeah, I I don't disagree there. It just that's that's my kind of flawed approach, right? Or has been flawed approach for a while. Yeah, but but yeah, definitely got to get back into the habit of reading every day for at least thirty forty minutes. And I have to I haven't touched any books in like the past three, two or three days. So it's been <laughs> raining a lot in Tokyo. Kind of puts you off the mood. Yeah, maybe I should do so. Every time I come back from the pool, I read, or every time before I go, I read yeah. and just make like a habit. Well, apply some habits, habits from uh, Atomic Habits. Yeah, exactly. 
right. Any other thing that you have on your reading list? Uh, I'm going through another book called The Copy Book, but I don't think it's like something that um, I can take or glean insights from. I guess it's more so reading for ins- inspiration and just inspiration, I guess. It's basically a collection of um, little snippets of like professional copywriters. And I think in this case, more so UK-based copywriters on how they approach writing copy and then a few examples of their ads. A lot of them just wrote jokes in there. You know, like, oh yeah, I'm going to tell you how I write my copy. Ha ha ha. I mean, like, they try to be quirky and, and snarky in it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it, it really reminds me of a coffee table type of book. It's like just a collection of these ads. I guess on one on the other end, it's kind of interesting to read ads as well because you know it kind of gives you inspiration how to perhaps how to write my next ad or my next sale. Yeah. Level. So in a way, that's pretty interesting. But I don't know if I could tell you much. Interesting. Do, do you have anything on your on your wish list or on your to buy list for once you're done with these two books or? I'm trying to remember. I have. I feel like I have some books sitting in my shelf that I, I still owe a read to, but I don't remember what they are at this point. I don't know. Right now, I'm not excited to read anything. I think you've caught me at a really strange time. <laughs> right now, I'm thinking more so about hitting my side hustle goals. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I know you made a progress with your PDFs and stuff like that. Yeah. And the email stuff. And I know that because it's already August 15th or yeah, August 15th. We're pretty much halfway through. Yeah. So I'm trying to not to fail like I failed last time. So I've kind of been working on that this past weekend. And the other thing, here's another idea that I've kind of been hot on. Um, nothing specific per se, but for both of us, we're in a content space, right? Creating blog content. Yeah. Or niches. And at least in my case, you know, every now and then I'll, or quite often I'll review Google Analytics or I'll look for the next kind of content idea to do. But in my case, um, a lot of the, I feel like in my case, a lot of the time I'm kind of looking for a quick win like or an easy thing that I can apply elsewhere, which is not bad. But I also think that with my earlier content, some of the best stuff was stuff that actually put hard work and thought into which is why you know when, when we were talking about the pdf stuff earlier um yeah. i'm putting a lot of work into it because just i don't know like there, there there are times for quick wins but it's also i think in my opinion or at least for me it's a flawed approach to employ that all of the time because you, you end up putting out cheap content or cheap crap per se whereas if, if you put in a work into it if you actually put effort into it, put thought into it, someone else will find it valuable. And again, I'm only saying it from my side, from my niche. So that's why I'm um, like, I don't know, putting a lot of work into this stuff now. Yeah. Just a principle, you know, because again, I think it's also similar with tech, tech companies. Like if you see, if there's a quick fix and also a lot of bloggers, a lot of um, entrepreneurial type people promote like the five quick fixes you could do to make things even better. I mean, the quick fixes are nice and all, but it can't be all about that. I think uh, you have to put in some hard work and thought into creating content that is actually useful. So, you know, at times, like I look at my own articles and, and I wonder, like, you know, how can I make this even more useful for the person that's going to read this? And it's, uh, it's yeah. a book that has been sitting a lot in my head often because it's very easy to keep doing what I've been doing, but it's it's probably hard to make a breakthrough if I keep doing what I've been doing. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thought because I think to an extent you got to keep doing what you're doing if you want to, to scale something. I mean, assuming the, the thing you're doing is working, but at the same time, you probably have to, um, you have to, I think in, in a way, it is a too strong of word, but essentially you have to keep making changes too, to, to kind of make it an even more, um, yeah, like, like you say, I guess, um, to, to make it more helpful for your readers, there's, there's always things that you can improve. And unless you work on those, then you just have this backlog of articles that, um, that you didn't have to go back to and, and update to make yeah. it useful. Or you're just pumping, or I'm just pumping content out into the void that ultimately yeah. does not really make a splash. So yeah, like in, in the past, like I, I would get a lot of like good feedback on the content that I posted up on the language, the language stuff. But once I started kind of doing the cookie cutter X ways to say why type of articles, for example, I mean, in the past, I actually put some thought into these things. I mean, now I'm kind of, I'm kind of following numbers and what, you know, Google um, keyword planner or the vol- traffic volume is telling yeah. me, but I don't know. I don't know how useful that is, but like, for example, there, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal one thing. There was one, there was an article I made how to learn the Hebrew alphabet in an hour or less and that's an interesting twist you know i think the value in that is that yeah. it offers a proposition you can master the alphabet in an hour or less and for for me to be able to achieve and teach that i had to learn how to do it myself one yeah and two i had to figure out how can i make this simple or super simple super unique for a user that they, they, if they actually go through with it they will also master it. and that of, of course that required work 
Yeah. And similar also, like, you know, counting, how to count in numbers and so-and-so language. Like, I would look for these little patterns or r- rules that I could outline for a reader so that when they see it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, this is a lot easier. For example, if you think about counting in Japanese, you know, it's like, um, you know, you have to memorize from one to ten, right? Yeah. Once you memorize these numbers, then you have to uh, learn uh, ten from ten to nineteen, and, and ten to nineteen follows a similar formula. It's just like Jew plus numbers yeah. one to nine, and that's that's the formula. If you know that formula, then you can pretty much figure out uh, one eleven to nineteen. Then there's twenty. 20 to 29, um, similar formula. You have to like, again, no numbers, one to nine, but you have to learn 20. So like the next trick is next step is you have to learn the tens, like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Once you know these numbers, also they follow a similar pattern or different different patterns, like the numbers from one to nine plus juice, like Niju is 20, Sanju is 30. So like the fact is it took me like, the thing is it took me like a few, not hours, but it took me some time to like approach this thoughtfully and approach this in a way where it would be actually helpful for a user instead of coming up with an article saying here here are the numbers from 1 to 100 <laughs> it's just a list no one cares for a list but here i was kind of giving them insights and tips as to how to actually what, what's the, what's the how does this stuff work how can you understand and how can you make numbers on your own without having to read a list yeah so i put a lot of thought into that in the past which is something i've stopped doing and something i'm kind of like wondering about again yeah, I think that that's a great example because, again, it's not like putting up a list doesn't give any value, but I think what you just described in terms of actually understanding the problem and kind of going through it yourself and kind of being like, oh, okay, maybe this is the best way to learn it, and then writing about that, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that's what distinguishes good or decent content from great content. It's like, I guess it's like when you look at the difference between some of my um, other blogs and my aviation blog. Like on my aviation blog, I, most of the content that I post is like, I take a flight. I take my own photos and it's like first and experience kind of articles yeah. versus on the typical content sets that we run. It's more of a keyword based approach, right? Yeah. And, and more of a mass um, volume based approach, I guess you could say, which certainly has some um, implications to the quality of content. Yeah. Cause you're, you're driven by numbers rather than um, how to approach this certain topic. Exactly. You have to have to have some sort of template to work work from. Yeah, and and, and that's where that's where I think you can um, kind of differentiate if you can find good writers and and yeah. can work with them efficiently and effectively. Yeah. Um, but but still, there's there's no denying the fact that um, if you try to produce content at scale, um, typically quality su- suffers to to one end or or another. Yeah. So that's something I've been kind of. Th- thinking and trying to execute on just like putting more thought into the stuff that I create to make it much more useful again because it's super easy to give someone a list of things and be like good luck with that (laughs) you know that's that's the that's the other thing I've gained from language learning and learning in general is like you know you presented a list of information and also online courses as well you're presented with a list of information essentially you're told good luck with that and a lot of people don't know how to learn yeah. So they're gonna be like, "Gee, thanks." <laughs> they're gonna forget <laughs> everything that uh, they read or glanced the next day, which makes it useless. So, like, I think at least on a content creator, content creators level, you can, I can step in and at least um, help them bridge the gap and help them understand it and retain it better than just uh, give them here. Good luck with this kind of stuff, because the here, good luck with this kind of stuff is like, yes, you can, you can say um, the learner or the consumer or whatnot, it's on them to make this information useful. But because they don't know how to make it useful for themselves or they don't know how to approach it, um, I think this is where the adva- this is where the content creator has the advantage among other content creators because they won't go through that effort. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's what I've been thinking about. That's what I've been trying to do. So goals have been on my mind, trying to reach these next goals. So, sounds like a good weekend, Tom. We, we went to take some wedding photos over the weekend, so it was yeah. a bit more, bit more relaxing. But I actually wore Japanese... Um, Kimono? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the what the male version of that is called, but 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 I wore it for the first time. It's pretty fascinating how many layers it has. More layers than a ski outfit, I think. Is it hot like to wear it? It's pretty warm, yeah. It, it, definitely warmer than the T-shirt and, and jeans that I usually wear. So, <laughs> okay. so this company has you um, wear these robes, not robes, kimonos, <laughs> and take pictures, right? As that's their model. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating company. They actually, um, I think their their main business. I was looking at their because they, they went public recently, I think last month or two months ago. Okay. I was looking at their quarterly presentation, and they were explaining their business model and so on, and. It's like 93 or 94% of their business is, is photo weddings, which is essentially people getting wedding photos taken without doing the, the whole ceremony thing. Mm-hmm. And like they were showing some graphs from Google Trends and like, you know, Japanese like to go for weddings to Hawaii and to Okinawa and like essentially to have a quote unquote resort wedding and so on. Okay. 
and like all those all those keywords are going down in popularity. I think part of it is, um, of, of course, a large part of it is Corona, but I think it's also just more general trend in mm-hmm. terms of people perhaps not wanting to spend tens of thousands of dollars on, on one day, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then you look at the photo weddings and it's been growing like crazy for the past couple of years. Um, so, so I think they're, they're addressing a really, really huge market that's going to grow even further. And, um, and, and yeah, essentially the way it works is you book a date, um, you get there, they've got makeup artists on staff, they've got hairstylists on staff. Nice. They've got they've got like this entire um, wardrobe of different kimonos that you can choose from, and and they're really smart with the pricing too because the photo package is like whatever eight hundred bucks, right? And and it includes the kimono and it includes the the men version of that, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. I should probably know as a Japanese, but but I don't. But but anyways, it, <laughs> it includes that. Um, but then they take you to this room with we've got all these kimonos, and especially the especially the women ones, like the men ones. They're from like no extra charge to like. 300 bucks extra charge okay and like they're all pretty okay looking but like if you look at the women's um kimonos they go from like zero extra charge to like a thousand and two hundred dollars extra charge which is more than the photo itself but then you look at the expensive stuff and it's like so much nicer than the cheap stuff and and you essentially go there and you're pretty much like i'm sure every most women will go with the expensive stuff because like you look at it and look it looks much better So, so they make like what couple thousand dollars from each photo shoot and and again, it's like, I think in, in Europe, at least, there's a lot of freelance photographers that come to your wedding and so on. And I think with wedding dresses, it's pretty easy to replicate, especially if you do like a ceremony. But like with kimono and all the effort it takes to wear it and so on. And, and like some of the stuff that, that they rent, it's like ten twelve thousand dollar $12,000 pieces of clothing, right? So it's not like you can just go out and buy it for, for most people. So, so I think they're really on to, to really cool business there. Um, and now is a really good time to grow it. I mean, considering Corona. Yeah, exactly. The to have a big wedding or travel for a wedding. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the other thing that I think they're catching on to is like in the past, essentially, you, you would go and take a family photo, and you would have like five photos of, of your family, and that was your entire family photo album, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're talking way, 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 way back when, and and then like the the normal cameras came around, and you'd have a film with whatever twenty four or thirty six shots, and maybe you'd get two rolls on your vacation, so there's like sixty photos, and you print them out and you kind of cherish them and you look through the album, you have the physical thing and you had really small supply of photos, but you would really, really value them. And I think where we got now is we've got smartphones. So we take pictures of everything. Like you go on vacation, you take 400 photos, but then do you ever go back to look at those photos? Like no. we have this, yeah, exactly. We have this abundance of photos that nobody ever goes back to look at because you have 500 photos, but 480 of them are crap. Probably. Yeah. I'm pretty sure right, there's so- a comedy skit based on this, but go on. So, 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 so I, I guess what I'm what I'm sure about is like more and more people will will just want to have good photos taken because again you can take photo of your baby with your smartphone, yeah, but it's gonna be a terrible but, photo. But it's gonna be mo- exactly. It's like when we go to Disneyland or whatever, and I, I give my camera to somebody else to take photo of us. Like I'm grateful to the people that take their minute out of their day to take the photo, but at the same time, 75% of the photos are crap. They're either like completely rotated, they're like they're like slanted, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, or they're yeah. Or something's cut off. Exactly. And it's like most people can't take good photos, but they think they can take photos because they have a smartphone and camera. But I think more and more people will realize that spending whatever 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks on getting nice photos or family taken and like being nicely dressed, being in kimono or being in suit or whatever. Like I, I think that kind of tradition will come back slowly because people will realize that, oh, we have all these photos, but most of them are crap. Yeah. So maybe we should go back to photo studios for like, whether it's for like, um, and again, I think that's the difference in Japan too, is like, there's so many occasions here, like the Shichigo-san where you're like three, five or seven years old. It's like the kid yeah. kind of thing. Um, when you're 20, you have the, the Seijin Shiki, the adult ceremony. Um, funny, we have none of that in the United States, minus maybe graduation. Yeah, exactly. In, in Slovakia either. Um, and I think that that creates a real big chance for this business. Like they had this one slide in their, in their IR um, presentation. Mm-hmm. That was like, we kind of aimed to go from just photo wedding company to a live photo company. Mm. And like they had this, this total addressable market chart there that went from like being born all the way to dying yeah. and like all the way from taking maternity photos of like pregnant moms to taking like photos of babies and taking photos of like kids starting to go to school and taking photos of kids becoming adults and like the Sejinski and then getting married and then having their own kids and then dying. Yeah. And it's like entire life cycle. And yeah, it's kind of grim, but at the same time, I definitely see the value in it. Definitely see. And very, also very compelling, very compelling angle. It, it, exactly. And I, I think it's like, 
sure, you can hire a freelancer to take nice photos for you. But I still think there's a lot of people that are just willing to pay um, premium to, to go to an actual studio. And, and again, freelancer is nice if you want to go to a park and take a couple of pictures that are nice, um, hire a nice freelance photographer. Mm-hmm. But like, I think the level of service and the level of process and standardization and so on, yeah. like, it's hard to beat a company that's it's crazy. This company is making like, I don't know, 50 or something million dollars per year on photo weddings with like 20 stores. And yeah, I, I think I'm going to buy some stock. All right. Do you plan on taking any more photos? Yeah, we actually when um our, our original plan was to have my mom and my dad and my family from Slovakia come here and um my wife and my family could take a photo together mm-hmm. um in September, but it's pretty hard now, so we um decided to just go to two of us and take like um the photos of the two of us and then we'll go again in um next spring hopefully as mm-hmm. I will um knock on my wooden desk and say as things improve. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll go take photos as, as the entire family. So me, my wife and her family and, and my family. Nice. And again, that, that's, that's a pretty good, um, revenue that the company is getting just out of one couple. That's, and if you, yeah, I think they, they were, it was saying they do like 30,000 or 25,000 or something a year of this. Mm-hmm. And I assume they're all like at least one and a half, probably closer to two, two and a half um, thousand dollars on, on average. Very smart. They tapped into uh, like life events. Any, I think any and all life events, there's always an opportunity and there's always a reason to spend a lot of money because like, you know, I think what would be considered life event is like a birth, unfortunately, death, um, graduation, plus, you know, there's various cultural uh, uh, celebrations, like the yeah. in Japan, the 20 years old, there's the Shiji Gosan when you're three, five, or three, five, and what, a seven? Yeah, three, five, um, seven. So all kinds of opportunities to take advantage of that. You know, I think you can, you can see it on other levels where, you know, companies will send you something for your birthday. That's another way to take advantage of um, yeah. a life event. I think moving is a life event. So like any, I think any company that kind of taps into this stuff and attempts to provide value, because, you know, you're not going to cheap out on something, you know, if unfortunately for relative, something happens to a relative, you want to give them the best send off. If you're going to have a wedding, if you're going to marry, unfortunately, yeah, not unfortunately, you don't want to cheap out on that stuff. You know, if you're, your child is graduating. Yeah, you want to give them something good. So a lot of these stuff, you know, there's a lot of money involved. So I think companies that do attempt to provide value and target these things, you know, it's kind of smart. Yeah, this is the other thing that I, that I thought was smart is like um, normally it takes 20 days for the photos to be processed and for them to send you the link to the photos. Yeah. But you can pay 50 bucks and have them within like two days. And it's like, I wonder who wouldn't pay 50 bucks if, they, if they're already paying a thousand or two thousand dollars to have their photos taken. Yeah. Like, that's, that's I, I, I think pretty much everybody pays extra 50 bucks to, to have them shipped early, yeah. right? And I think the, the other thing that you mentioned was interesting. They're like tapping into these live events. And, and like, essentially the reason I, I want to buy some of these companies' stock is because I believe in, in what they're doing. And again, I've actually experienced how they do it. And I think they've got, they're, they're, um, they're very good in terms of execution and also in terms of the market they chose. Yeah. But I think the, the other thing that you just mentioned that, that kind of hit me with all the births and deaths and so on, like we we're talking, is... Um, they chose to go into this photo weddings part first, right? Mm-hmm. And they process 30,000 photo weddings a year. Now, imagine they keep doing that for 10 years. A lot of those couples will have kids. Yeah. And then I mean, when your kid's photographed, what's the first place you go to? It's probably where you got your wedding photos. Yeah. So, so I think by choosing to go into go after the wedding market and then essentially expanding from there, it's like everybody that gets, a lot of people that get married have kids. Yeah. So you already have kind of audience yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. That that have, that have great experience with you. Um, everybody that is wedding dies. Everybody dies. So, so so you already have a market there. It's like it's almost like this this wedding business is a great entry point for all the other parts of the of the life business. Because from wedding you get the kids, from the kids you go to the graduation photos and so yeah. on. So, so I feel like in terms of their strategy of going after the weddings first and then trying to expand from there, um, I, I didn't think of it, it that way to, to, to that much depth um, yesterday or, or when I was thinking about this. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's a great um, th- th- that's a great strength that they have to com- compared to other other photo studios. Like there's dozens of photo studios that take photos for yeah. for um, whatever of kids or of Ishigo-san or of um, of the uh, of Sejinshki, mm. of, of the adult becoming an adult ceremony, but um, but like building this audience of essentially newlywed couples, like it's got so much future potential if you think about it. So definitely buy that stock then. Yeah, I I don't invest a lot in individual stocks, but every now and then I buy a couple hundred or bucks or a thousand or whatever in you know in an individual stock that I like. And, um, yeah, I think this is one of them. All right, sounds good. All right. Any how? Wait. How? So, how's your side hustle stuff going? Any updates just yet, or shall we leave it for next time? Or um, are you on track? 
I think in terms of publishing, I'm on track. I just published five articles on, on one site yesterday or, or sorry, last week. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still publishing regularly on my main site. Um, I'm a bit behind on the briefs, so finding new topics. Okay. But I'll try to fix that over the next couple of weeks and hopefully I can catch up and at least hit like 50% of the goal. I think even then it's still still okay. good. All right. Then in that case, we have our work cut out for us and plus some books to read. Yeah. All right. This has been the Side Hustles and Stuff Podcast, episode 67. Wait, not 67, 61. I am getting ahead of myself. If you want to start your own side hustle, check out the show notes at sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash E61 to get a, well, first of all, you can see the pictures of the drinks that we had for today. But more importantly, if you want to start your side hustle, we recommend Bluehost and you can find the link in the show notes. Bluehost is a place where you can buy your own .com, your own website, and put your project out into the world because the website makes it real. So visit the show notes at sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash E61 and uh, talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. All right.